Welcome to the next episode of the Austin Bar Association's Council of Firsts. I'm your host, Amanda Ariaga, Austin Bar President. This podcast is made possible by the Texas Bar Foundation. In today's episode, we talk to the first Latina to preside over the 53rd District Court. Judge Maria Cantu-Hexel has been involved with community service her entire career. Though she has been involved in legal organizations, she spent most of her time dedicated to helping children see their future without limits. She has been PTA president, on the board of Avance Austin, volunteered with the Juvenile Diabetes Research Foundation, and served on the board of the American Lung Association Central Texas region. Since I've met Judge Cantu-Hexel, I found her to be authentic, kind, and a true leader for the legal community. I'm thrilled to have with me Judge Maria Cantu-Hexel. Thank you for being here. Thank you, Amanda. Uh, I have some questions for you. Hit me. I want to start with the basic question. Why did you want to be a lawyer? Um, I think that I always had an interest in political science and government. Um, In my home, my dad had served as a city councilman since I was like four years old. Um, And so that sort of um, interest in the law was already there. But I think really why I decided to go to law school was to really challenge myself. I think I felt like I was at a point um, in college where there had to be something more. There was um, some additional challenge that I needed to face. And um, in fact, that was going to law school. So you were a lawyer, and then you decided you needed another challenge, and you wanted to be a judge. What led you to want to do that? Well, I think, you know, as I mentioned, sort of the public service aspect was always something that I was really interested in. Um, And I, after 23, 24 years in the practice of law, being a civil litigator and the challenges that come with that, I felt like there was more I could give. And again, like another challenge, a point of challenge for me. And um, I, I was thinking about sort of this last phase of my career, not that I'm anywhere near there yet, but, you know, in terms of the next 10, 15 years. You know, and I really wanted it to look different. And I knew that it would be hard, um, but I decided it was time for, for me to take on that challenge and, and do something that I really had always dreamt about. Did it occur to you when you were running for this particular court that you would be the first Latina? I don't know that I specifically sought out a bench where that would be the case. Um, But in retrospect, um, the 53rd is really the first judicial district court for Travis County. There were other courts before 1890, I think two or five, but they were either part of the Republic or, you know, I think the state hadn't quite figured out um, what, you know, how they were going to establish this court system. Um, and, And more in retrospect, I felt... I feel now like wow, what what a significance it is um, to have to be you know the first, um, not the first female, but the first Latina in the fifty third. Yeah, I didn't know that um, that part of the history. That really is amazing. Then you know we have, of course, we've had Latinas. You were sworn in by Judge Naranjo, the first Latina elected in Travis County. Um, but I didn't know that your particular bench had that history. That is. Um, that's really cool. It's coming to full circle now because we are in the process of moving some of the portraits from the old HMS to the new CFCF facility. 
And so I really got to go back and study the seven, I think, portraits in the 53rd and visually kind of seeing the progression of where it was for, you know, almost 100 years versus where it is now. Mm-hmm. Um Good for you. That's great. Even if we only figured that out in retrospect, that is history to be celebrated. So you were a lawyer. You decided to run for judge. And I would think the most awkward part is running for judge and how to be authentic during your campaign. And I believe that you were that. So how did you accomplish that? I think it it, it took a little bit of calming myself down and moving aside whatever doubts I knew that I had the experience. I had litigated and tried cases at really every level um, of our state court system. Um, I'd worked on, you know, countless administrative appeals or administrative hearings. And um, I knew I had the experience. And I just needed to sort of set aside the doubt and find it in myself to you know, to to really try and connect with people. And when I started to do that, I found um, that that's really easy for me to do. And so although there were ups and downs and times of real, you know, trial and tribulation, um, I think going back to my roots of loving to connect with people um, really helped. And then I was just refreshingly surprised at um, how much I could lean into who I was authentically um, to, to make those connections with people. Um, and I think, you know, I think back on it with a lot of um, respect for the process and understanding of like how hard it is really to run for office and run for judicial office, I think, particularly. Um, but I'm so pleased that I was able to push, you know, the parts of me that I think um, are authentic and lean in a little bit to my culture, my identity, and my heritage um, as, a, as a positive, as a way to make that connection with people. So um, overall, it, I, th- I felt it easy to be my authentic self. Once I sort of got the process down, I was like, wait, I'm just really meeting people and talking with people and letting letting them know who I am. Um, and and you know, and that was really a, a good process, a positive process for me. And I hope for the voters too. Um the other thing that might be awkward, I, I can see how being yourself and being authentic and meeting people is easy. Um, the thing that might be hard is asking for money. Did you find that to be a challenge? Because I assume when you're running for office, not only do you have this fear, well, maybe you don't want to vote for me, but now there's a reality of a campaign that costs money. And so how did you navigate that? With a lot of struggle. Uh, you know, I, I maybe it's cultural. Maybe it's, um, you know, the dynamic within my own family and kind of where we come from. But asking for money for me was a very difficult thing. Um, and really, um, but it's just, it's part of the process. So I had to sort of swallow it and do it. Um, and and I had so many people that helped me along the way. 
understand that it's not necessarily money for me. It's money for outreach to voters about who I am and who they can have as a judge. Um, it's at the end of the day, it's public service for the people. So it, you know, I sort of had to to get around this idea that it was for me. I I wanted to serve. I wanted to be um, a judge for all of the people of Travis County, and so the money then has to go for that's what it's going for. Um, but it was hard. I mean, it's really hard. I think uh, I think some candidates can are, are can do it pretty easily, and I really admire that. It was difficult for me, and you know, and something. But again, a challenge that I had to to face and am the better for it. And speaking of challenges, you became a judge right when COVID started. And you were sworn in at your house because it was still the time that we were pretty uncertain what was happening and how how often we could see people. Masks were just starting to be a thing. What was it like to start your judicial career at the beginning of the pandemic? I think um, for... A lot of us, that period of time, the pandemic specifically, was very difficult. You know, on the one hand, we were grateful to have time, you know, in our homes with our family. Um, but for for those of us that um, are more people oriented, um, it was it was very isolating. And again, I, this keeps coming up, but it was challenging because I I. I was trying to translate um, my skill set um, into this virtual world. Um, I was trying to get to know my staff in a very virtual way, um, and 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 that was you know a, a time that I had to sort of um, navigate, uh, relying on myself to do it. That being said, every single one of the judges, as well as my predecessor, were responsive to me, available to me, um, would take my phone calls, would answer my emails. Um, And so I really got the sense, even from a distance, of um, the collaboration and the the support that I was hoping was was there. And, And in fact, it it is. And so that's something I'm really grateful for. But, um, you know, when it came time to come back, of course, I was still concerned um, about COVID. I I guess I started coming back in to do jury trials in April of, um, I guess, what what was 2022. And, um, And, you know, that had its challenges, but I was also glad to be back in person. It was, I think, like every other working mom, there was the question of how's the laundry going to get done? <laughs> but um, but I think that, um, you know, the, the easing back in helped. Um, and I'm really glad to be, you know, back in person for the most part on, on a day-to-day basis now. That first year, did you have any times where you are in the kitchen doing Zoom court and your kids are there doing school and oh. – 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the good thing is I have such a supportive, you know, husband and family. And so the office that my husband and I had previously had shared, he said, no, I'll work out in the dining room. You get the office so you can close the door. And he got me all set up. Luckily, he's very tech savvy. Um, And my um, daughter, my youngest daughter at the time made a couple of signs and the, the, you know, the red sign said, stop court in session. And the green sign said, okay, to come in. So I, I would use the little sign outside the the door. But my older daughter was doing her freshman year in high school virtually. She's a dance major. Her bedroom is right up right up from the office. And so all of a sudden there's flamenco happening. Uh, and I was always paranoid, like, does anybody else hear this? My staff would be like, no, no, we can't hear anything. Don't worry. <laughs> But I could hear the dancing happening above me um, and and had to sort of navigate those challenges of um, other things happening in the house, you know. It's great that they were so supportive. I think that not, some other families might have had to compete for who gets the private office. Right. So what a hard thing for your daughter to be a dance major in her room that exactly. first year. Exactly. I hope now she is free and leaping in the world. Oh, yes. Lots of leaping. I think we just finished our uh, fourth of seven dance recitals this season. So uh, we're halfway there to summer. Great. So because of your kids, it sounds like you have focused a lot on community service issues that impact children. What were some that were the most impactful for you? I, you know, I grew up in a home and a family that uh, that very much prioritized kind of community service um, in every possible way, but mainly centered around education. My parents taught night school and helped kind of community members get their GED and learn English. Um, And then when I went off, before I went to college, I was already working some summer camps with different um, high school kids that were first generation going to college or, you know, in high school and going to college. And then um, even in Lubbock, when I was in law school, I found a literacy program and worked with some adults um, in, uh, in teaching English um, and just always found that very, very fulfilling um, and so Avance um, Austin is 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 that organization for me here because it takes the child and the parent and pull and teaches the parent that they are the first teacher for their child um, and 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 I think the investment at that age and stage is just incredible as far as results later on in life and um, and so. I think anything centered around education has always been sort of top priority for me. Um, my parents were both public educators. And um, and I just found throughout my legal uh, life that just finding those organizations or projects um, that you you feel passion about are very easy to do. Like it's, it's just easy to spend time on something where you really can get behind the mission and um, and help in whatever way you can. Um, and for me, that's just always been around education-centered um, work. Um, it's just the key that unlocks the future um, for so many 
people. And in the Avanza program, particularly, you know, yes, we we help in making sure that child is kindergarten ready when they graduate from the program. But more importantly, that parent decides to get their GED, decides to go back to, to school, maybe get an associate's degree, become a teacher or a nurse. And those stories just exemplify why the program works. And it, there's nothing, I think, more important in society than, than unlocking that potential um, for people. So it's, it's, you know, Avance and organizations like it um, that focus on the family and the ripple effect um, of, of, uh, that, of that work uh, are just always easy for me to get behind. Well, I think Avance helps you with other people's kids. Mm-hmm. Being the PTA president <laughs> has to do with your own kid. And I'm not sure that that is a position that every parent wants to have. Why was it important to you? Well, I we had the very good fortune of finding um, an elementary school, um, Becker Elementary, and I, I stepped into a culture that already existed there, but it wasn't just about my kid. It was a, a PTA culture and a parent culture that was interested in serving all of the students. And at the time, we still were Title I. We still had quite a few um, student population. I think those numbers have shifted now, but um, lots of students with needs. And, um, and, and so... It was, again, kind of easy for me to be involved in that mindset of, I'm not really just interested in helping my kid. You know, my kid's got all kinds of advantages, right, with two educated parents and, you know, all all that good stuff. But how are we going to make sure that these other kids um, get services they need, that all the children have, you know, field trips and um, after-school engagement um, and enrichment? Um, because you never know what little thing might unlock um, that potential in, in another child. And so, um, again, good fortune that we landed in a community that I wanted to get behind and, and be a part of. And, um, and, and it continues today. I mean, my kids are out, out of elementary school, but I think I still keep up a little bit with what's happening and, um, and support it. And now it's about trying to figure out the ways to support um, my kids in the schools that they find themselves in. So, great. What advice would you give to lawyers who want to follow in your footsteps? When I got out in '95, um, uh, it was very much uh, I have to succeed in the construct that exists. It was you know the female lawyers had to figure out how to. Excel and um, in a system that had not really been created to help us. Um, that's just the way it was. And so you went to the firm and you worked as many, if not more, hours than your male counterparts, and you tried to fight for pay equity and um, all of that good stuff. Um, and fast forward the twenty some odd years uh, on the campaign trail, what I found was, wow, these young female lawyers that are coming out, they're going to create their own construct. They're not going to, you know, um, feel like they have to conform to what exists. 
And I was very inspired by that. And, you know, part of me, the old, you know, Latina in me was like, they need to, you know, go through what I had to go through. And I really had to stop and say, wait, you did that so that they wouldn't have to do it. Um, And so I did get to see some of that change and be happy about it. I would still tell um, a female attorney coming out of, you know, law school um, to 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 make sure that you know your value and you can advocate for it and 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 you know it sounds cliche but make sure that you're surrounding yourself with people and or a partner that support you um because without that support um it can be difficult to manage the workplace it can be difficult to manage if you decide to marry and have children um, and so really look for those allies. Make sure that you're picking a partner that's supportive. And, and it, because if, if they're not, then it, you might as well not have a partner at all because they're just going to get in your way. Um, it's got to be somebody who's willing to kind of help you in the goals that you set. Um, and, and for the male attorneys, I would say, Again, what I the change I saw in that 20-year span is pretty incredible. There are some fantastic male allies that consider themselves equal partners with their um, partner in ch- child raising and in home responsibilities and um and and in the workplace, you know, willing to to put forward the success of their female counterparts, you know, and diminishing that just good old boy culture. Um, And so, you know, I think everybody's on the right track. And I think we need to make sure we stay on that track to continue to see, like, what would it look like in 20 years? You know, that's going to be pretty incredible um, based on what I see now. That's great. You have been on the bench now for a little over two years. How's it going? Gosh, I really love it. I love um, the role that I play in what I consider to be the wheels of justice. Um, I'm one of those people that is very um, team oriented, um, and and so I I consider myself a part of the team, you know. And we're trying to get this case. Um, whatever it may be, um, to to an end point. And I have a role to play in that. The attorneys have a role to play in that. Um, the parties have a role to play in that. And I try my best to um, make sure that I am trying to move it along, you know, in the way that respects the process and the parties um, even if it doesn't result in an outcome that they're happy about, I want them at least to know uh, or feel like they got a fair shot, that they their voice was heard, um, even though it may not result in exactly how they want it to be. And I am so pleased uh, of my um, ability to kind of translate my skill set um, into, into that role. And that really is you know, a pretty comprehensive understanding of civil litigation, even in how that translates to family law, you know. Um, and um, I, 
I really enjoy it. I like, again, the challenge of um, having to uh, apply that skill set to something that might be brand new to me, some sort of transaction or litigation that I didn't necessarily have familiarity with in my practice. Um, but knowing it, it's a good feeling to have the confidence of my experience to bring to the table, even in that situation. Um, and so I, I've really enjoyed it. I love jury trials. Um, I, I, you know, love to, to visit with them afterwards and see how they feel about the process and, um, and, and hope that they understand what an important part of the process they are. Um, and, and again, I mean, you know, it, it, the courtroom is a very formal place. And I think now that we're all kind of back in person, we're all trying to get used to that again. I see uh, myself included, but lawyers sort of struggling with um, being back in person and, and, and how to present their evidence, how to present themselves. Um, and, uh, but I think that we're, we're in the right, headed in the right direction. And I truly enjoy the process and am glad to be a part of it and in service uh, to the people of Travis County. Well, and it's interesting. I've never heard anyone describe what happens in a jury trial as a team because we think of it as so adversarial. Mm -hmm. And most of my friends who are litigators love to talk about the fight. They love going every day to fight. Um, and so I think your approach is interesting, particularly for the jury or maybe witnesses mm -hmm. um, to know, like in family law, it probably should be more of a team event mm -hmm. than adversarial because you have humans and potentially these little humans that this is impacting. Um, so I think that's a great way to approach it is you're a part of the team. It's a collaborative effect. Um, but you're kind of a big part of the team. You're at the very least the referee, the umpire. And the example. Yeah. You know, I, I'm yeah. the one who sort of sets the expectations. And so, you know, I've had lawyers that we were getting to go to getting ready for trial on say, well, what's the most important thing to you? And I said, civility. Um, you, it, it's, it's, it's about respecting the process and keeping your tempers in check. You're very passionate about your sides, but we, we have a job to present evidence and let a jury decide certain questions. Um, that's the process, you know, so it, civility and respect, not, not necessarily respect for, for me, although you should have respect for me, but it's respecting the process, you know, and so, um, there, we have some fantastic litigators um, in this town, um, and it's always good to have um, those folks in my courtroom. I also am very happy when they bring their young associates with them and really help them learn the process. I mean, that's that's what I benefited from, you know, was initially at the attorney general's office. Um really just being thrown into it. These are your cases. Go figure it out. And, uh, you know, you travel around the state and you're in different courtrooms and you're trying to, you know, navigate those um, with the help of some really good mentors. And then along the way, having um, senior attorneys, partners that really involved me in the process and said, no, come to this deposition. Come to this. Help me with this trial. It's just it's so key 
to making sure that young attorneys learn the skills they need to learn to go on and be successful senior associates and partners. Um, so um, I, I love to see that when they're involving their younger um, you know, team members um, in the process. Well, thank you for being that example of civility. Um, we probably need more of that just all around. There are still some people that think the loudest voice in the room is the one that gets heard. And that's not always, that shouldn't always be the case. And so I think you setting the example of keeping things civil is a great lesson for everyone to follow. Sure. <laughs> on on the bench and at home. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> on the bench, at home, at the PTA, right. at your volunteer right. events, at the HEB. Right. Let's be civil everywhere because we never know who's having a bad day and what's going on in their lives. Right. So we talked earlier about um, your historic um, election to the 53rd District Court. And this past year, many women of color were sworn into the bench. How do you think we are doing in the Austin legal community, both with um, the judiciary, but with lawyers in general? How do you think we're doing with diversity? Are we improving? I think so. Um, I, I do feel momentum in a certain direction. Um, I think that the atmosphere is such that it's 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 almost a good thing, you know, it, whereas before it was, you know, I guess we navigated this space where it was like you had to prove yourself, you had to prove yourself because did they have, you know, sort of stereotypes about you? Um, as as a Latina, and so you're trying to overcome that. And now it feels a little more like we can um, be uh, we can put out there um, that we are Latinas, and uh, we come with a certain skill set. We've had certain life experiences, and that's really welcome, as opposed to um, you know it being just about where you went to law school and, you know, and um, where what where you worked in your legal career. Um, and so I think there is an overall shift to really understand the person and how and what that person could bring to the job. Um, and, and I think that's a positive thing. Um, it opens up the field. And I think then we as um, as women of color don't have to feel like there's also this other thing we have to overcome. So it's, just, it's definitely a shift, I think, from what I've seen. But, but you know, the gender um, thing, it, I, my first, um, the first time I got to meet Ann Richards, I was, it was the summer before my senior year of high school. I had the privilege to come to Girl State and um, she was at the time at the state um, comptroller treasurer. I could be getting that wrong. And and they brought us to the the Methodist Church there by the Capitol. And she spoke to us about her life in public service and how we needed to, you know, um, always be thinking about uh, how we could serve our communities and. And, and, and not back down from, you know, from the challenge of being a female um, in, in public service or in government or in the law. 
And um, and that was super impression. I was very impressionable at that point and kind of starry-eyed. Um, and I think that um, she – we made so much sort of progress from that point. But I do see, like, a, another shift more recently from, again, where I was at when I came out of law school. And, and, and that makes me really happy. Very, very happy. <laughs> do you still remember the Girl State song? To the oh tune, my gosh, to the tune of "You Light Up My Life." Oh, that's right. Someone recently asked me if I know the song "You Light Up My Life," and I started laughing. And they said, "Yes, but I know only the Girl State words." Well, you are very, very good. I do not remember the Girl State version, but what what a life changing time that was. I mean, I'm so glad you got to be a part of it too. The interesting thing was in our small town. My um my the sister I have a lot of sisters the one that's just a year ahead of me that they were going through the selection process and she honestly her her extracurriculars and grades were probably even better than mine um, but they weren't uh, looking at them blindly um, so she did not get picked. Um, and my dad who is a very you know kind of um, proud man. And had, was very involved in the community, then suggested to them that they should probably redact the names so they could judge the girls just on their grades and their extracurricular activities. And lo and behold, the next year, I got to go to Girl State. Um, but it was that work in, in equity um, that impacted my life because going to Girl State was, I think, the beginning of probably my thoughts of going to law school. That's wonderful. One thing that I noticed, um, and I don't know if it was this way at the time, when I went, Girl State and Boys State happened almost simultaneously. The boys got to be in Austin, mm-hmm. and it was only five days. Mm-hmm. The girls were in Seguin, Texas, mm-hmm. for 11 days. Um, and while, yes— it was an honor to be there, and it was the best of the best from every girl in every city. Um, I couldn't help but wonder, well, how come we don't get to be at the Capitol? Right. Like that. Maybe that's one of the times when I decided to start getting really ornery. Yes. Because I, I wondered all of those questions. Like, the boys deserve the Capitol, right. and the girls don't. Right. And it takes us six days longer to learn about government than the boys. Mm-hmm. There's even, um, I haven't watched it out of protest, but there is a movie called Boys State on, yes. uh, on yeah, Apple TV. I haven't TV. seen it yet either. but I, I haven't know. seen it because it's all about, you know, what a glorious time they had at Boys State at the Capitol. Right. And I thought, well, I want the, <laughs> I want the counter view of those of us that were honored to go to Seguin, Texas, right. but not cool enough to make it to the Capitol. We, we got bussed in for one day. Yes. And that was the day that we were in the Capitol as well as at uh, at the Methodist Church um, with Ann Richards. Mm-hmm. Um, but I haven't kept up. Have they – so are they still just in Seguin for the girls or did they make them? I don't them? know. I should – be curious about that. Yeah. I'll follow up. I have friends that have been active in Boy State that are still – Every year, still leaders in Boy State. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know any girlfriends mm-hmm. that do that. But it's so true because it was the stark contrast at the time. They got to stay. They were weren't they staying at UT? I think they got to stay in the dorms at UT. So they were in the Capitol every day and doing all this great stuff in Austin. And and we, and 
not to diminish our time, it was great. But again, what a contrast. Yes, one day, maybe the next thing, the next project we should work on together is equity for Girl State, and Girl State gets to go to the Capitol next time. <laughs> We're in. We will help be your counselors if we can make that happen. If it, yeah, it better have already changed some. Yes. Because, yeah, it's it's instrumental to have that equity in that sort of, in that way. That's right. Um, is there anything else that you would like to share with our audience about you, your plans, your hopes and dreams? You know, I, we didn't get to have an investiture because it was COVID. Um, and it would have really been my opportunity to thank, you know, my tribe, you know, my people, and particularly my husband and my daughters that sacrificed some. I'm going to get a little emotional. Um, you know, that sacrificed a lot for me to run. And um, I regret that I haven't had an opportunity to, other than personally thank them, but to make sure that everybody um, that believed in me and helped um, feel or know how grateful I am for them. That is beautiful because I know you all got Amy's ice cream at the Hilger's house Um, and not because you didn't deserve to be celebrated. Of course. But because it was still... Confusing. Absolutely. Still confusing. Can we be together? Can we not? Right. Is it rude if we are together? Right. No. It, I, and I and I say it really without um, regret because it 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 is what it is, you know. And I I'll in twenty years I'll say yeah I got to start in the pandemic and you know it'll sort of be this badge of honor. So it's not with any um, regret that I say that. But wow, just. Being so grateful to the people that believed in me because, you know, there's hard times on the campaign trail and you um, really need folks to bolster you and, you know, kind of calm your nerves and say, just keep going. Like, it's going to be okay. And we believe in you. I, you know, one of the best things was I ran into, there was a, a couple from our elementary school and the husband um, you know, and they're not not really politically active. Don't you know? Um, and I think he had even immigrated to the to this country. And he said, "I went and registered to vote so that I could vote for you." And I thought, "That's it. I mean, I don't need anything else." Somebody's engaging in the process because of me, and that's all I need. Well, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you for all that you do. You're bringing civility back. Um, <laughs> You really are, what I said at the beginning, you really are so authentic and genuine. Um, And I've just appreciated all of the chats that we've been able to have. And I hope we have a lot more. It's been my pleasure. Thank you so much. And we will see you all next time. Thank you. Mm -hmm.